Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast normally about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, fresh off the line for free soft pretzels, it's my sister Marissa. That's what she said. (laughs) Oh, this was just a delight. Oh my goodness, it was such a breath of fresh air after (laughs) weeks of absurdity. We haven't done something that really brought me joy in a, in a while. Well, no, that's not true, because we did The Incredibles and Avengers and whatnot. But we haven't done a TV show that has really brought me joy, maybe since The Good Place <laughs> went on hiatus. See, I like parks better than you do. So yeah, that is probably true. While The Good Place is on hiatus, we are looking at other shows that are related in some way to The Good Place. Uh, so May was Megan Amram month, Amramica the Beautiful June was Ted Danson equals Terrific Dude Month, and that was to varying levels of success, I think. <laughs> it was a mixed bag. And this month, July, uh, we are exploring the Shurniverse, so uh, shows that Michael Schur has been involved with. So naturally, first up, we had to watch The Office. What was Mike Schur's actual role on The Office? I, I didn't do the producer. research. I think he was probably a writer and a producer. I'm glad we did this before we started rolling. You talk, I'll IMDB. Okay. Before we get to the actual recaps, just a little bit of housekeeping. You can find us on iTunes, uh, Google Play, and at goodplay.cast.rocks. If you can, please rate and review us on iTunes. That would be lovely. Uh, You can also follow and like us on Facebook at The Good Play, uh, Twitter at The Good Play Pod, and you can send us an email at thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear about your favorite Office episodes, your favorite Michael Schur shows, your favorite thing that Ted Danson has done that we didn't cover last month, you know, anything you want. So what we decided to do for this week is to look at episodes where Michael Schur actually does a bit of a cameo. So for those of you who may not know, Michael Schur plays Mose, who is Dwight's cousin, who lives on Shroot Farms with him and is, like, quite a weirdo. Uh, And he just sort of, like, comes in every now and again. (laughs) He had no screen time in these episodes. (laughs) None. In Initiation, he had more than he did in Goodbye. Okay, but it it was, like, it was, like, a second. Yeah. (laughs) It was, like, one line, I think. Well, yeah. So, I mean, we could have picked many, many other episodes, but... I had no idea. I just picked sort of random ones. I remember liking Goodbye Toby, so I really wanted to do that one. Yeah. Goodbye Toby is a great episode. And then I think you picked Initiation. Yeah, because it has one of my favorite endings uh, of of the early season. So, um, and also, I do remember... (laughs) I just remembered the sort of like hazing stuff and I thought it was funny. Yeah, my, so Mike Sure was a like writer producer on The Office. I assume he was one of the head writers. Wikipedia is not being super forthcoming. I think so. Maybe he moved up the ranks as the show progressed. Um although at some point he left the He left to, to do Parks and Rec. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, before we jump into the recaps, we want to sort of like give any background on like where we are with the office or you just want to dive in and then we can kind of discuss it all together yeah i think that's fair what i had wanted to say was first of all that i had watched the show pretty religiously for the first i don't know maybe five seasons or something i don't remember exactly when i stopped watching and that i had not revisited it at all in the interim i mean not a whit i had never just sat down and watched an episode of the office so this was a super duper time capsule for me Mm, uh, mm-hmm. Like so many, I mean, a lot has happened to all of us in the last 10 years. Yeah, really. Some years have been more eventful than others. <laughs> um, so it was really, it was sort of strange and bittersweet and heartwarming to kind of come back to this. Just these two random episodes after all this time. And boy, did it hold up. Yeah. What a solid sitcom. Yeah. My introduction and my sort of memories of The Office are college which is 10 years ago so i was rooming with a friend of mine 
who basically said to me when we moved in together, if we're going to be roommates, then you need to watch The Office. <laughs> it must have been like in its first season or something. It was, you... this was before the beginning of season three. And so I like caught a cold and I, over the course of one weekend, watched all of season one and two. And I was like, I need more How did this. you manage was... that in the pre-streaming era? DVDs, my friend. Oh, all right. DVDs. Not my DVDs, her DVDs. Got it. And so she was like, well, it's coming back. And so we're going to watch it together. And we made it. It was sort of a religious. It was like, this is our Sabbath day. (laughs) Whatever the. (laughs) Keep it holy. Yes. And I loved it. And I loved it. And I loved it. And I stopped watching. um, When Steve Carell left? No, I stopped watching before that. I stopped watching. Yeah, I think I did too. The last episode I watched was the episode where Jim buys his parents' house as a surprise for Pam. And I have a lot. You were super not into that. I I have a very, I have a lot of very complicated feelings about Jim and Pam. Or as uh, you would used to call them when we were youngins, jam, jam, I believe. Jam. And we get a little bit of Dwangela also. <laughs> Dwayne, are you for real? Yes, I am for real. Of course it can't, I'm for real. It can't be Angelite? <laughs> no, it's Dwangela. Get used to it. <laughs> yeah, I, so I have lots of jam, jammy feelings. and um... Grape or strawberry or what? <laughs> And these episodes, revisiting these episodes at this point in their relationship and at this point in the series actually was really wonderful because this is a healing moment. This is the Jim and Pam that I know and love. And I have just my own headcanon for them. So we can talk about that more later if you want to open that Pandora's box. But we don't have to. Yeah, I have a lot of complicated feelings specifically about Pam, but their relationship also but yeah it was i loved it and i it's actually funny that you said you haven't watched it in the intervening like 10 years or so it's exact so by the way goodbye toby aired may 2008 so it was exactly 10 years ago wow that's crazy so yeah it's funny that you said you haven't revisited since then because i thought i hadn't and then i went back into my netflix and it was like (laughs) you know, continue watching season four, episode one. I was like, did I go into a fugue state and watch the first three seasons of The Office? So anyway, I, but I love the first four or so seasons of the show. I think I totally agree with you. It holds up. It's still very funny. And, and I love Michael Scott. I love him. I do too. And I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. We can talk about why you, can and should though i think oh that's gonna be that's gonna be a hashtag hot take especially with uh goodbye toby he he showed some interesting sides so should we get into the (laughs) that was amazing um (laughs) should we get into the the recaps the recaps so the first one we watched was you know what you know what this you accidentally we accidentally chose episodes that turned out to be the rise and fall of ryan the intern (laughs) Oh my god, you're right! Yes, that was the through line. That was the accidental through line. That's too funny. Yeah, Ryan is such an interesting character. He's so... Knowing now that BJ Novak... He wrote for The Office, right? Like, a lot of the... Yeah, yeah, so did Mindy Kaling. A lot of them were writers. Yeah, so a lot of them were writers, and it's funny to me to, like, watch the show and imagine them in the writer's room writing their plot lines for their own characters. I read BJ Novak's quote unquote humor collection and it okay. was one of the more miserable things I've ever wasted my time on. Oh no. I so, liked Mindy Kaling's Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? I thought Yeah, that was her books are good. like sort of fluffy and sweet and yeah. there's not much to them, but they're enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, BJ Novak's BJ Novak actually has a children's book called The Book with No Pictures that's actually delightful. But he has a but his his like collection of humors I mean he's trying to be like you know, if you've ever read Woody Allen's Without Feathers, right? He's mm-hmm. trying to do that. And it's mm-hmm. it's awful. It is okay. awful. So it's not like a autobiography or anything. Oh, like no, 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 no. It is, oh, it okay. is, it is supposed to, yeah, it is in the tradition of Without Feathers or oh, okay. any of, the, of those other Woody Allen books. Okay. I know Woody Allen is its own topic and we're just not going to touch we're it. We're not going to do that. Gonna... I love Without Feathers, though. <laughs> um, the Rise and Fall of Ryan. It is. You no, know, you're right. You're right. You're right. 
Um, so the first episode we watched, season three, episode five, which is titled Initiation. Do you want to give us a recap? Oh, you can. I mean, I don't know how, how, how into detail you want to go. Oh, okay. But I think, you know, you've got such a better handle, I think, on the minutiae of <laughs> the office than I do. Okay. I did like a, a, bas- a basic summary and then we can kind of get into the details if we want. Uh, for both of the episodes. So the first one, like I said, season three, episode five, Initiation. Uh, so this one, basically what happens is Jan Melora Hardin, uh, the goddess Melora Hardin, asks Pam. <laughs> How, what do I know her from? Is she from House? She's from House. She's House's ex-wife. Mm. No, that's Steel Ward. Who am no. I thinking of? Melora. Oh, she's from, she's uh, from... I'm going to do, 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 it's a jungle out there. What's that Monk. show? Monk. She's Monk. Monk's dead wife. She's, <laughs> she's somebody's wife on a cable show. Somebody's like that wife who's not in the picture. <laughs> okay. Melora Hardin. Who, to be fair, looks a lot like Celia Ward. <laughs> I, yeah, I get, and they've also both got like, weird names anyway so jan asks pam to keep a log of everything michael does during the day this is after jan and michael have fooled around and she's trying to like you know basically things didn't quite go the way she wanted and now she's kind of being punitive so she's asking pam to keep a log of everything michael does during the day and it just wasn't she his superior Mm -hmm. if there's going to be consequences for a relationship at work the um like legal thing is that the person who is higher in rank is actually the one who gets in more trouble. So she eventually is fired. Okay. See, I this is why I told you to do the summary because oh, okay. I don't remember any of this stuff. No, she's she's fired in season. Actually, the end of this season, she loses her job at corporate because basically she's like ineffectual and like not showing up and is constantly going to Scranton to see Michael and like. Just not doing anything, and I, was, I think she she's she got breast implants at one point in order to like get Michael back. They have like a very toxic relationship, and so she gets fired. This is when Jim is interviewing for the corporate position that eventually Ryan gets. Ringing any bells? No. Oh, okay. So no, but, no, 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 but no. You just talk. <laughs> she's fired. Okay. So, but that's a different. I was. I would say spoiler alert, but like this show's been off the air for a while, so. This log of things that Michael has to do during the day really conflicts with the fact that he is, like, completely unproductive that day because all he wants to do is stand in line for a, a free soft He's apparently pretzel. unproductive. Uh, yes, yes, yes. That is true. That Thank you for that. He's apparently unproductive because all he wants to do all day is stand in line and wait for its free soft pretzel day at the office park. This was such a, like, oh, they understand they're in Pennsylvania moment for me. Yes! Soft pretzels. <laughs> I was definitely like, oh, soft pretzels. I could really go for one. Oh of those. my god! And then when I we saw that it was like bespoke soft pretzels, where yeah. you could pick one we went on them, I was like, shut up! This, <laughs> transport me into two thousand and eight. No, two thousand seven. Whatever. That's your good place. Is <laughs> just bespoke soft pretzels that you have unlimited access to. Basically, Pam tries to get Michael to be productive all day. And you see glimpses of Michael. You think he's not doing anything. It actually turns out that he's closing a big sale, but he's just sort of acting like a goofball while this is happening. Uh, But you don't find out to the end of the episode that he's actually, like, gotten some contracts through. At one point, he comes out and he's, like, super hyped up on the sugar from his, like, very, very sweet pretzel. And then he takes a nap. He gets every possible thing on the pretzel. Like, he gets every possible sweet pretzel topping. It's, like, <laughs> right, 18 it's like different toppings. nerds and red vines. It's, like, <laughs> caramel sauce and chocolate sauce and mint chip and this and that and marshmallows or whatever. And he gets them all. And then he gets really hyped up on sugar. He comes out and he starts, it sounds like he's on cocaine. And then he crashes and he takes a nap in his office and Pam covers for him when Jan calls and is like, he's on a sales call, which I thought was actually very sweet. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about The Office is that, like, it's very dysfunctional, but they also kind of stick up for each other in weird ways. Like, I I watched the Dundies episode, too, and that had a lot of the same kind of theme. Anyway, so while this is happening at The Office, Dwight... 
The titular office. The titular office, yes. Ryan has been there for a year. Ryan the Temp has been there for a year. And he's like, well, if I want to move, like, it's either time for me to get out or commit. It's kind of like he's talking about a relationship, right? And he's like, I figured I would ask Dwight for some pointers because he's the top salesperson in the office. This is after Jim has transferred to Stanford. So... Was there uh, a reason for that? Yes. Okay. I'll get to it. Sorry. It's okay. I can't believe you don't remember. Anyway. No, you um, know I remember nothing. That's true. That's <laughs> true. So Jim has transferred to Stanford. And so Ryan has sort of taken over his position, Jim's old position. And so he's learning from Dwight. So Dwight basically puts him through his paces. And instead of taking him on a sales call, takes him to Shroot Farms where he basically hazes Ryan by making him go through, like, all these ridiculous Mr. Miyagi-type exercises, but they're all for Shroot Farms. <laughs> it's like he buries a beet seed in the ground or whatever, and he abandons Ryan at one point, and Ryan has to make his own way to the barn, and then the last... It seems like it might be, like, a mile walk. <laughs> yeah, but, like, if you don't know where you are, I don't know. And then he grills, he, like... You know, Ryan is kind of like, look, man, I know what you're doing because I was in a frat in college, which of course Ryan was of in a course dang he frat was. Yep. Uh, in college. And Dwight actually says, like, Dwight convinces him to say, because he's like, look, you, the reason you haven't made any sales is because, like, you don't know anything and you have to, you have to trust me and trust the fact that, like, you, maybe you, you're not as smart as you think you are, which is, of course, foreshadowing for the rise and fall of. Ryan the Temp. Ryan Howard, by the way, which is another Philadelphia shout-out, because Ryan Howard used to play for the Phillies. How do you know that? Because I babysat a young boy who was obsessed with baseball and loved the Phillies. Oh, yeah. He was a sweetie. He was a very, very sweet kid. And so he grills Ryan, and he asks him a bunch of questions about the company, and Ryan's giving him correct answers, but Dwight goes for, like, really crazy answers, and at one point... At one point, one of the questions is, what is the Dharma Initiative? Which I just want to point out because I I looked this up because I was like, that has to be a reference to something, but I didn't know what it was. So I looked it up and it's actually a reference to Lost, which I <laughs> thought was really funny because as we know from doing this podcast about The Good Place, Michael Schur talked to Damon Lindelof, who created Lost, before writing The Good Place, because he said, how do I write a show that has this, like, big twist, and how do I deal with that? And so Damon Lindelof helped him out with that, and it's just funny, because to me, it's like, Michael Schur has been a fan for this long of Damon Lindelof. <laughs> it's all coming together. It's all coming together. All the pieces are coming I, together. My favorite question was Dwight asking Ryan, what does Michael Scott fear the most? And Ryan saying loneliness and maybe women. And I yes. was like, that's 100% right. Yes. And then Dwight says, wrong. He's not afraid of anything. I also would have accepted snakes. <laughs> <laughs> and so then Dwight says to Ryan, you have to, you can't be afraid of, of anything. You know, Michael's not afraid of anything. You can't be afraid of anything. You have to wrestle your fears to the ground. And out comes Dwight's cousin Moe's. Michael Schur, who basically <laughs> looks like an Amish person, but wearing, like, has the facial hair and stuff, and is wearing a, a sweater that has the word fear emblazoned across it in, like, red tape. And he says, you have to wrestle my cousin Moe's. And Ryan says, I'm out. I'm not going to do that. And he leaves. And Ryan, or Moe's is like, he seems nice. <laughs> so then we get a shot. I, the only reason I'm calling this out uh, is because the friend who I watched The Office with the first time, she and I were both, we were both design majors, and we both had to take art history classes, and so Moe's, as, as an apology for sort of freaking Ryan out, uh, Moe's and Dwight put together like a care basket, like an apology basket of stuff from the farm, and Moe's has whittled something. And it's just a throwaway joke, but for anybody who's ever taken an art history class, it looks exactly like the Venus of Willendorf. So I just have to shout that out for my friend Liz, who... I'd like to point out that one needn't have taken an art history class to know the most famous Neolithic carving of all time. (laughs) I'm just saying some of our listeners may have been, you know, having friends in a social life in college, so maybe they wouldn't know (laughs) the Venus of Willendorf. 
So shouts to Liz. You're the reason I got that joke. And so that's sort of the second. Oh, and then he eventually does take Ryan on the sales call, which goes very poorly. But in the aftermath. Dang it. It's Paleolithic. Damn it. So sorry. So sorry. Paleolithic. (laughs) I said Paleolithic. Can't really edit that in, can you? No. (laughs) So Ryan, uh, the sales call goes very poorly, but Ryan and Dwight kind of bond over drinks and, you know, it's kind of, it ends on like a, a truce between the two of them. The third piece of the puzzle here is that Jim is in Stanford. We get to see Why? Him. Okay. Make it snappy. He transferred because of Pam. Because she was going to marry that other guy? Because at the end of season two, Casino Night, he tells her that he loves her. She says, I can't. They have a very emotional conversation. At the very, very end of that episode, she's on the phone with her mom talking about him. He comes into the office and kisses her, and that is the end of the season. I should say, we find out later, obviously, that, you know, they didn't quite get it together. She kind of rejects him, but then she also, in the course of the beginning of season three, reveals that she has broken it off with Roy also. So she is a free agent, and he, at this point does not know that he finds that out later on in the season so he tells michael in an episode and the only i mean i remember the end of season two because it's one of my favorite episodes but he basically tells michael in an episode where they meet at a conference and michael's like you know why did you leave why did you leave like he thinks it's about him because he he thinks that he's an egomaniac well also he thinks that jim doesn't want to be friends with him anymore and he gets jealous of jim's new boss And Jim's like, I didn't leave because of you. You're a good boss. I left because of Pam. I put it all on the line and she said no twice and I couldn't deal with that. So he left because of Pam. But he he put it to everybody else that it was a promotion and a better opportunity. And arguably, I would say Stanford, Connecticut's probably a better place to live than Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you like hanging out with insurance agents, sure. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, uh, it is what it is. But so he gets... He's in Stanford making friends or frenemies with his office mates. This is Karen, who is played by Rashida Jones, who we also see in Parks and Rec. And Andy Bernard. Give me the beat, boys, and free my little soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. Ed Helms is such a delight. <laughs> I regularly say, Lord, beer me strength. <laughs> yes. In like work situations and people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you just, like I have to go through the whole thing. Um, yeah, he's great. We get to see see him sing in this episode as well. Because, so Andy Bernard, for those of you who may not remember, was in The, the Troublemakers at Cornell. Uh, ever heard of it? And he's fantastic. And... Basically, Jim is starting to prank his new coworkers the same way that he used to prank Dwight. We um, got to talk about that, but first we got to get through these synopses, and we're already at like twenty-five minutes. I, I'm just taking some joy in it, and there could be a little bit of a flirtation between him and Karen, which obviously develops. And then, but he clearly kind of misses Pam because what we see at the end of the episode, because she had to stay late to watch. <laughs> to watch Michael basically take a nap in his office and then wake up bleary-eyed to, like, a bunch of contracts that he actually closed this deal on. She's at the office late. Jim calls the office late to catch Kevin to talk about something else. And instead, he gets Pam, and it's very awkward at first because this is the first time they've spoken to each other since he left. But they very quickly fall into their old rhythm, and this is, like, I love this sort of banter that they have and the the very, very sweet kind of relationship they have. It ends awkwardly, obviously, when Brian and Dwight come back into the office, but that's like a nice little button on the episode, to me anyway. So that's the first episode. Do we want to talk about the next episode? The next episode, I think, will be easier to synopsize, even though it's longer, because it basically has... One plot. One One through line. Yeah. One plot, which is... So this episode is season four, episode... 14? It's the finale, isn't it? It's the finale episode. Goodbye, Toby. It's called Goodbye, Toby. So it's Toby's last day at the office. 
the HR representative that Michael has had like a war with and Michael is tickled pink and Michael falls for Toby's HR replacement, a woman named Holly. I think I, I fell for her too, BT love Dubs. Her. I love her. I love their relationship. How long does she last? She I don't actually know, but I know that she leaves at one point and Michael gets really mad at the company. And I think he leaves to be with her, if I remember correctly. He leaves to, like, go be with her. To me, my thesis on Holly is that she just proves that there's a lid for every pot. Because, (laughs) like, Michael Scott throughout this episode just puts his foot in his mouth. Except for, like, a couple little times. Puts his foot in his mouth and she just loves every minute of it. So, there, the through line of this episode is it's, it's Toby's goodbye. And so you have... Basically, the Holly plot, uh, the Holly and Michael plot in one part of it, and you have another part of it, which is getting ready for Toby's going away party. So Phyllis takes that over because Angela kind of throws a fit, and there's some, there's some like power dynamics there that don't seem to be a big deal until like the very end stinger of the episode. There's also Jim. So Jim kind of gets sucked in to the Holly and Michael plot because Michael asks him. (laughs) So at one point in the episode, after speaking with Holly for two minutes, not even, Michael is like convinced that he's in love with her and has offered to make her a mix CD. This was, that actually really brought me back. (laughs) Did did you see my note at the end of the show notes about how we got to, we we have to talk about all of the technology changes just in the last decade, because it's pretty nuts. Yeah, for real. Yeah, so he's, and he's listening to uh, Crash Into Me, when, (laughs) the Dave Matthews Van song, when um, he invites Jim in and is like, how do I make a CD that works on two levels one of them is welcome to Scranton and the other one is I love you. <laughs> and Jim is like, look, you know, you can get to know somebody while you're in the office. Like you can get to know Holly. Like I got to know Pam and Michael's like, you waited too long. And he's like, well, we're fine now. We're happy now. And Michael was right. Michael's right. I mean, this is upon rewatching a lot of this is like, you're adults. Just say what you have to say. But anyway, it's the same thing I had with cheers. The same, you know, Great, I had about cheers. But that gives Jim the idea to propose at Toby's going away, so he pays for fireworks. I'll just put it out there. If I ever work with a guy and we end up getting serious with one another, if he proposes to me at a work event in front of all of our colleagues, I would not react well to that. I know. I would kind of react the way Angela did. So the proposal gets hijacked by Andy who at this point so at this point is working in so over the course of of seasons three and four the stamford branch closes and and scranton absorbs a bunch of those people in order to like bring everybody back together and karen has elected to leave uh and she ends up at the utica branch which for those of us watching the show in upstate new york is pretty hilarious we're like oh hey utica and Andy is working in the Scranton branch, and sh- and he and Angela have developed a relationship. Angela used to be secretly involved with Dwight. And so Andy says that he's been carrying a ring around in his pocket for six years or something. In his wallet, ma'am. In, in his wallet, sorry. Because you never know when you're going to meet the right girl, and you never know when the moment's The way that right. some men carry a condom in their wallet. Yes. Uh, PSA to everyone out there, I hope you're not carrying condoms in your wallet for six years i don't think that would be good for them but so he asks angela to marry him she very tersely says okay and andy's parents are there andy's parents are there which is amazing uh in sweater vests and jim puts the ring away and pam is kind of upset because she thought he was going to propose and of course he was we get their proposal later on oh pam also got into pratt this episode which yay hooray but that doesn't, as we know, doesn't end as well, which I have a lot of feelings about, hashtag feelings. But going back to, so that's kind of like the secondary plot, but the main plot is basically that Holly has shown up in the office and is very charmed by Michael. And I do have to say, she, like, he makes a concerted effort over the course of the episode 
to rein in some of his like worst tendencies, which is good. I think that's a that like shows some restraint and some some maturity on his part. But I also have to say that before watching this, the night before I watched these episodes, I watched Get Smart, which is also on Netflix, which I really oh uh, the movie that Steve Carell did Steve Carell did. And I saw, like, a couple moments of very, like, dashing, charming Steve Carell in this episode where I was like, I get it. I get it. Oh, I totally get it. I've always had, a like, a little miniature crush on Steve Carell. I totally get it. Holly is sort of, at first, Michael, before talking to her, is like, we need to haze her and blah, blah, blah. So Dwight... The reason we picked this episode for Moe's is because Moe's shows up to throw a raccoon into Holly's car. <laughs> he doesn't even of, have a line. As part of the hazing, he he shows up, Dwight and Meredith throw it in her car, and then Moe's like skitters off into the bushes. And It's like 46 minutes of episode and Moe's can't have one line. <laughs> he might have been like very busy like producing that day. Who knows? I don't know what producers do. Um, so... There are all these sort of, like, little things about her being, like, very gently hazed. I, although I would argue that a raccoon is not a gentle no. haze. No! I mean, but Dwight has no sense of... Pers- of Perspective. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. What, that's Proportion. Not... Proportion. Proportionality, yeah. yeah. He, Dwight also tells her that Kevin is slow. Yeah, I don't know about that joke. I mean, it... Yeah. It was... I, I mean, I think it was funny, but I don't know if it was okay. That's, yes. I mean, they handled it very well because Holly is just incredibly nice to him. Like, she doesn't, and, and like, helpful. But, yeah, it it's, I think looking back on it, I was like, hmm. I, yeah, I don't know if that holds up as well as the rest of everything does. There is a scene with Toby's exit interview where basically <laughs> Michael wants to really give it to him. But then Holly sits in, and so he has to, like, So does Pam, in. yeah. Pam sits in, too. And he's like, reading off of cards, and he's like, let's just have a few questions. Uh, who do you think you are? <laughs> like, just, like, what gives you the right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they are actually, Holly and Michael are actually really vibing with each other. The, the point at which I was completely won over by Holly was when he, is when he goes back to basically, like, look for her like he's just wandering around looking for her and she is on the floor having deconstructed the office chair and he says how do you sit like that and she says yoga and then he does a yoda impression and he immediate like after it leaves his mouth he's like oh god i have ruined my chance with this like beautiful wonderful woman and then she does a Yoda impression right back to him. Yeah, that was like, the minute I fell in love with her for sure. I was like, you're my soulmate. I was like, you are. I was like, this is it. This is my relationship goals. You need to be looking for women who are like 15 years your senior, apparently. I, I guess. I guess. I you know, to. you got to give props to The Office for giving Steve Carell age-appropriate love interests. Yes. He was never with some hot young thing. Yeah, I mean, Melora Hardin is hot, and Holly is a very good-looking woman, but they are both age-appropriate for him. They're not. And speaking of Melora Hardin, she's also in this episode, Jan's in this episode. We find out that Jan is pregnant. She went to a sperm bank while she and Michael were dating. And, which is just like, she's an absurd woman, and she is like a very, very selfish character. And, you know, Michael Scott really does want a family like that's something that he said before and so he things were going very well with holly and then when he gets back from seeing jan things like he sort of is too frazzled to flirt with her and kind of like lets an opportunity go by to spend more time with her outside of the office and he agrees to go to the titular office yes indeed and he agrees to go to a lamaze class with Jan and says there's any for details. a baby that's not his for that ba- she was not planning on telling him about yeah which is like it's kind of a constructed obstacle I think it's, it doesn't feel very doesn't feel very organic but I think they had to now the Jim and Pam are together here's your new roadblock and then we also have a roadblock with Andy and Angela because Angela's sleeping with Dwight and that's the episode did I miss anything you missed Ryan's downfall oh my God, how did I miss that? You're correct. Thank you so much. So Ryan, at the end of season three, so the reason that Jim comes back to the office. The titular office. The titular office. Sorry. 
the reason that, so Ryan and the rest of the Stanford branch, as I said, is absorbed, but there's an opening at the corporate level because basically they're getting rid of Jan, but she doesn't know that. So they're hiring and they're looking internally. Michael applies for the job, which makes Dwight very power hungry. And Karen and Jim both apply for the job. Karen and Jim are together at this point, And Jim and Pam have kind of reconciled and are friendly again. And in his interview, Jim is asked, where do you see yourself in five years? And basically the answer is that he sees himself with Pam because he comes back to the office and basically asks her out on a date. And so that's how we end season three in terms of Jim and Pam's story. But what ends up happening is that Michael doesn't get the position So they're all looking around going, well, if Jim didn't get it and Karen didn't get it and Michael didn't get it, who got it? And it's Ryan. So Ryan gets this position in corporate and he gets a really big head on his shoulders and he's like, gets like a big and beardy head. He gets like frosted tips, I think. Or maybe that's later. I don't know. At some point there's frosted tips involved. And yeah, he looks like a D-bag. And his big thing is I'm going to take Dunder Mifflin online because this was the point at which like you didn't have to have a website in order to be a business. Hello, 2008. (laughs) And so his big project was the website. And in this episode, uh, in the finale of, so basically over the course of a year, the finale episode for season four, uh, which is the episode we watched, it turns out Ryan has been defrauding their investors by double counting everyone's sales. And we see a glimpse of this because Ryan or because Jim makes a sale and calls Ryan to say, Hey, I just made a sale. And Ryan's very condescending and says, you've entered it in the database. Now you have to enter it on the website. And we think at the time that that's just Ryan being a jerk, but it turns out that it's actually motive for like or it's his it's it's foreshadowing for like oh yeah he's been defrauding people so he gets carted away and that is at least at that point the end of there's a hilariously grainy youtube video of him being purpled out i mean it's like shot through chocolate milk (laughs) (laughs) it's great it's great so that's actually yeah so michael has a you know, had a questionable relationship, I think, with Ryan when he was a temp in terms of Michael's level of, like, affection and attachment to him. But everybody in the office thinks it's hilarious except for Michael. And Holly actually goes and comforts Michael. And we don't really hear what she's saying because there's Michael's doing some voiceover over it. But you just get the sense that, like, she connects with him more because... She says, what do I do here? And Toby says, I usually don't do anything. So you, And she doesn't do that. She actually goes and spends time with Michael and, and comforts him and makes him feel better about the situation. So you can also tell, like, she's not just kind of silly. She's actually very good at her job, which in a way is the same thing Michael Scott is, right? He, he blathers all day long and he's really silly and, you know, he's sometimes inappropriate, but at the end of the day... He does get the job done and he does care about the company. So is that, did I miss anything else? God, I hope not. Yeah, that was a lot. It was a lot. So you're not going to like this first topic that I am proposing. Uh, I can see it. I don't like it. Jim's kind of a schmuck. No, I won't stand for that. When I started watching The Office, I was probably either just finishing college or maybe unemployed or maybe in my very early days of having like an office job. And I don't think that I thought about Jim very much. And now I'm, I guess I'm technically a manager at my job. I manage a very tiny number of people, but still I have responsibilities in in the managerial realm. Humorless this is, just humorless. Sorry. But I look at Jim now and I'm like, Oh, he's fired. <laughs> he is fired. I mean, the th- like the thing with rerouting Dwight's phone. Oh my God, that was hilarious. It's not cool. It's hilarious. The point oh, of... Boy. <laughs> See, I obviously have like very deep affection for Jim for a lot of other reasons. But... 
the prank stuff is funny to me, not because it has any basis in reality, but because it is all wish fulfillment. Sure. Because we all know somebody in our office who we would just love to annoy the shirt out of with pranks all day. I've certainly worked with people that I'm like, God, if I could just put their stapler in jello, put your stapler in jello, hide your cell phone in the ceiling, you know, <laughs> come to work dressed like you. Do you remember that episode? No, but I believe uh, you. He comes to work dressed like Dwight and starts acting like Dwight. And he starts, he, he like, you know how um, Dwight's always asking questions of like, question. What is, yes. you know, whatever. <laughs> so Jim comes looking like exactly like Dwight and dressed exactly like Dwight. And he sits down and he goes, question. I can't. <laughs> question. What kind of bear is best? And like just goes to this whole thing. And it really works Dwight up. And Dwight's like, identity theft is not a joke, Jim. Millions of families suffer every year. So it's really just, Mm. he doesn't, I know, look, Mm. hear me out on this one. It is wish fulfillment. There isn't like the other, he, he does this kind of stuff. Pam falls in love with him for it. Not for it. He, she, mm. no, no. She fall, no. She falls in love with him because to him, to her, he's actually to her. He is perfect. No, but like their relationship is based on actually like mutual affection and lots of emotional support and things that obviously she wasn't getting from Roy. Um, and she does tell her mom at the end of season two, when basically her mom is asking, like, are you in love with him too? And she says, I don't know. He's my best friend. So like they have a basis. She goes along with his pranks a lot. Um, and I think she finds it funny, but the, I think their point of view is this is so unbearable that like, I need to do something to make it more bearable. And so to me, all the prank stuff is just wish fulfillment the same way that like, do you remember the episode where they find, Michael Scott has written a script for yep. Threat Level Midnight and they read all the parts and stuff. It's like that stuff. It's like, you know, this happens on Parks and Recreation too. Not the pranks, but some of these like more outlandish things to kind of liven up the office environment. Because if everybody was just, you know, for example, the office I'm in now, right? Everyone's quiet. Not many people talk to each other. We all have our headphones in all day. Some of us get along, others of us don't, but we're very passive aggressive about it. And then we go home. That's not a show. So like, you need to have some people who liven things up. And in Jim's case, he takes out a lot of his Ghibli's by playing pranks on Dwight. But he does over the course. Uh, I know. Listen, you're not going to convince me. You can have whatever opinion you want. I understand you're a manager. I'm a manager now, too, and if any one of my employees, you know, if any one of my subordinates put my cell phone in jello, I'd have a very difficult time with that. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. We, can, we can put this in a drawer. <laughs> uh, I just but... love... I just love John Krasinski. I mean, I think that's part of it, too. I'm biased. Did you see A Quiet Place? I didn't. You should see it if you like him so much. I don't like horror. Mm. Um, Neither do I. But he's in... I mean, he's in a bunch of other stuff. He's in the new... He's the new Jack Reacher, I think, actually. Yeah, not going to see that. So the other thing I wanted to talk about... There was a few things. Um, Mm -hmm. This show was also... This show also hit me a lot harder now after 10 years of office life. Almost 11 years for me of office life. Yeah. Than it did at the time. I don't think I saw all the little things that made it so very real. (laughs) And now I see them and they kind of are like being stabbed in the heart. (laughs) The party planning committee. I was like, oh no, this is too real. This is too, too real. It's all women. None of them, they, and they know this, none of them is going to, like, get promoted for this, right? <laughs> this yeah. is just something that they do. And it, of course, becomes, like, a power play because, like, what else are you going to do? Right. Yeah. And, like, oh, man. That, well, that, one, that, that one hurt. That's the reality that I think the more outlandish stuff is there to kind of counteract. Um, but, yeah, you're right. The reality of, like, the receptionist just sitting there all day answering the phone um the reality of 
you know, all the office politics between like Angela and Phyllis. And I loved when Holly asks Creed, what is it that you do here? And he's like, I have to go. And then there's like a talking head and he's like, what is it? What? And he's like, Qua qua quabity assuance. That doesn't sound right. But I was, you know, and at the time, I I don't know if I when I watched it the for the first time if it would have resonated with me. But now it hundred percent does because I have realized how many people in a white collar environment are completely superfluous. (laughs) So many, and 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 you could chase one of them down in the hall and ask them. You know what? What is it that you do? And the best answer would be quality assuance. <laughs> and we all have known people, I think, who are like riding this job to retirement or riding mm-hmm. this. And this happens in Parks and Recreation too, but it's given a friendlier face in um, Jerry. Oh, um, Jerry! Who's <laughs> and his hot wife and his super hot Chrissy Brinkley wife? But Jerry's. Jerry has an episode where he and Tom are put on an assignment together to like liven things up at the parks department. I think they're doing like a branding exercise basically. And Tom is like the real go-getter and Jerry says to him, well, you know, here's how to survive this job. You do the same thing every day for 30 years because isn't there's a, 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 subplot where Tom tries to open his own business and fails spectacularly because he opens his own business with John Ralphio, who's my favorite character. But so he lands back at the parks department and he's really bummed about that. And so he's excited about this project because it's more creative than what he normally gets to do. And Jerry says, isn't what isn't taking risks what got you in trouble in the first place, right? He, he's basically saying to Tom, like, you do the same job for 30 years and that's all you do. And then you go home at five and you have a life outside of work, right? And I think for... I, I don't disrespect that I, POV, by the way. No, no, I, I don't necessarily do either, but it's kind of, like, that's kind of who maybe Stanley is, right? Like Yeah, that's 100% who Stanley is. There's yeah. an episode where the guys in the warehouse switch jobs with the guys, the, the people in the main office, and there's a part where the the guys from the office have to load a truck and Jim kind of says like, Hey, there's a more efficient way for us to do this. If we maybe like stack things differently or whatever. And Stanley literally says to him, this is a run out the clock situation, right? Like he is just doing this to do this and then go get to go home. So that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. It's like, we know those people. I've certainly worked with people like that. Yeah, but the but the run out the clock people are different from the quality Oswinds people. <laughs> that's, those that's true. They those could people be. are those people are just <laughs> nobody knows what they do, why they're there. They could disappear the next day, and nobody's work product would suffer. <laughs> that's true. I mean, you work in a bigger bureaucracy than I do, so that's probably more true of your situation than mine. But for sure, and also like the sort of the scuffles over promotions or like job openings or stuff like that. I've certainly had my taste of that. And just, this was also working in an office environment before like instant messaging really became a thing. Right. In offices. Oh, well maybe in offices. I mean, instant messaging has been a thing since maybe like the late eighties or something. No, that's true. But I mean, like it wasn't a built in, like now you have Slack and you have Basecamp and you have all these project management tools that have instant messaging built into them. And you also have like office 365 or Google chat or whatever, you know, this seems like an office environment before that. So, well, that was the other thing I wanted to talk about was how much technology has changed in a decade. And it's sort of shocking. There's a point at which Toby, like you might think that Toby is a sympathetic character because he's bullied by Michael, but he's really not. I don't think he's a sympathetic character. He's always creeping on Pam and it is just so unseemly because he's like 15 years her senior and he's the HR guy. And he's the HR guy. Yeah. Like, it's, I don't care how old you are. You know, whatever. Live your life. But, like, you're the HR person and you're creeping on Pam constantly. It's the young receptionist. Yeah. Yeah. But at one point he wants a... So she gives him a picture of everyone in the office to say, like, you know, this is our goodbye gift. 
And he says, well, you're not in it. And she says, well, I took the picture. And then, so he keeps trying to get a picture with her and he's like, and nobody has a camera. I thought of that too. I was like, just use your phone. And I was like, oh my God, flip phones. Yep. I mean, they had, a lot of them kind of had cameras, but like you would never, it wasn't a keepsake photo, right? It was like the picture that came up when your friend called you and it's of them like, you know, flashing like some sort of pretend gang sign while they pop a wheelie or something. Sure. What? Who were your friends with? <laughs> that was one that really struck me of like, oh, they don't just have cameras. Ryan's perp walk being so low res was funny. Uh, the um, When Ryan and Dwight are out on the sales call and Mindy Kaling, who I think is dating Ryan at that point. Yeah. She's like, they've been out for such a long time and where are they? And I'm so worried about them. I was like, just text. Oh, they don't... <laughs> I don't yeah. think they have cell phones. That's true. Or like a few of them do. Like Dwight has a cell phone, but they all have flip phones. And yeah, like he's making her a mix CD. Like today that would be, you know, a Spotify playlist, right? There's also the whole thing about Jim and Pam and Karen, mm-hmm. which I realized wasn't strictly in these episodes, but the, the sort of like low information sitcom confusion just doesn't happen in a social media age. Yeah. Like, there's no way that Jim goes to Albany. Where was he? Utica? What? Stanford, right. Yeah. There's no way that Jim goes to Stanford and Pam breaks off her engagement and Jim doesn't know about it, right? Because in real life, if it were happening now, Pam's relationship status on Facebook would change. Yeah, that's true. Or if she was on Instagram, like, suddenly her Instas would not have Roy in them, you know? Or, like, she'd be tweeting some breakup lyric or something. Like, it just... you. There's no plausible storyline in 2018 of, like, oh, this girl that I am in love with broke up with her fiancé, but I am uh, three states away, so I don't know about it. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because I thought to myself, like, he's obviously still in touch with people at the office because he's calling Kevin about fantasy football. And I was like, well, why wouldn't Kevin just say anything? But then I sort of thought like, well, he's kind of a dumb guess. Like maybe he just doesn't really put it together that he should say something like, Oh, I buy that. Michael's the one who says something eventually to Jim because, but Michael's always been in their business. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Michael would be the one to say something because Michael has ended up being Jim's confidant like throughout the early stages of of this. But yeah, you're right. And also it's like, there's also a lot of stuff in terms of technology and the business itself. Like the fact that Ryan's big project was the website and like the website isn't going well. And so Ryan has to like defraud people or whatever, like it and all the sort of stuff at the at the corporate level. Yeah, there's no way that that would be... You'd have to come up with something different for now if you wanted to kind of reboot what people were up to. That's I mean, funny. I think the fraud angle works fine. Sure. But sure, like, sure, sure. we need to make a website. Like, exactly. Oh, oh, oh dear. <laughs> like, oh, maybe that, you know, you're, you're a little behind the times. If that's but it's not you're... as if... It's not as if we actually live in a paperless society. You know, I, I think that Dunder Mifflin could ostensibly still exist in 2018. Yeah, they might be an online retailer. Like, there's a there's a paper company called Jam Paper that is, like, very... Buzz high- Marketing Jam, got it. Buzz Marketing Jam Paper, um, because it's where... They actually used to have a brick-and-mortar store in New York, and it's where my a professor told us to go to get our resume paper. This is how long ago I graduated. <laughs> I had, And it's also how old my dang professors were that they were like everyone's gonna want your paper resume i've gone to every interview i've ever been to with like four or five paper resumes on like nice paper and everybody just has like a black and white printout i'm like hello yes everyone's holding up the the printed pages like they're dead rats like what is what is this (laughs) i'm getting cut from the edge is that normal (laughs) where's my kindle but you're right, like, we don't live in a paperless society. My current job has a lot to do with direct marketing, and therefore, like, I am surrounded by paper all day. Paper I don't want, but <laughs> I'm surrounded by paper all day. And you're putting paper that other people don't world. want. Yeah, that they, that they don't want. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Trust <laughs> me. It's something I've had to grapple with. So, yeah, like, they could exist. 
Like, we certainly still deal with paper vendors and that kind of thing. Because I think when The Office was on the air, there w- that they kind of foresaw, maybe prematurely, that they would be irrelevant because we were moving into this digital age. But I think the truth of the matter is, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. But for now, I don't know how much we've stopped using paper. I don't know. That would be an interesting detail. I mean, he does say, Dwight does say in the episode where he takes Ryan on the sales call and it goes poorly. He says it's those internet retailers and like, you know, these that's guys. A different, that's a different issue. I mean, it's related, but it's a different right. issue. But he says these guys are going to be sorry when the internet, this internet thing is just a fad. <laughs> Turns out this internet thing is just a fad. Which is funny because we watched this on an internet streaming service. Yeah, yeah. Their, their whole lives, I mean, they were on, they're constantly on the phone. Yeah. And they don't, most of them don't really have cell phones. And, and they do a lot of face-to-face business. Like in an episode yes. I watched uh, also in season three, which is how I remembered exactly what Jim said about him leaving because of Pam. Because uh, this is the episode in which he talks about that with, with Michael he and Michael and Dwight and Jim's Stanford branch boss are all at a conference together and they're in meetings, they're in sales meetings all day. And so they do a lot of face to face business. They go on calls, they do, you know, they are on the phone, as you said, they don't do a lot of stuff via email. And I think that has changed more than like I think the pace probably of business has changed quite a bit now mm-hmm. I can't really speak to it because I was not in the working world 10-15 years ago but I think the pace of business has changed and also the expectation that you know talking again about the people who are the run out the clock people or the you do the same job for 30 years and you go home at five people the expectation because of our technological leaps that you will always be available if you're in a sales job like Jim's or Dwight's or Michael's, like if you're the regional manager, regional branch manager of a company like this and your job is sales, all I'm sure all of the salespeople, if this was 2018, would have smartphones and they'd have their emails on their phone and that kind of a thing. Whereas in the same episode where they go to the conference, Jim's Stanford branch boss does have a blackberry with email on it and michael doesn't and michael's like gets very self-conscious about that right but if you were to but if you were to make blackberries yeah right and even that you're like haha that's funny now but if you were to make that show today if you have a bunch of salespeople who are all vying for you know the top spot at the company they'd be on their emails all the time yeah be a less dynamic show i think yeah (laughs) It would be yeah. hard to it would be hard to make a show making about that. A, making a show about an office now where everybody just like sits in their cubicles and, on like, Slack with their headphones on. Oh god. Yeah. Who no wants thanks. to watch that? That's Not my me. every single day. That's me every single day. So, did we want to talk anything about connections to the good place if there are sure. any? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh, uh I I didn't like plan anything for this, so I don't. No. Um no. other than Michael Sure himself. Well, he's not on The Good Place, but, you know. I mean, I think The Office could kind of conceivably be a medium place. I was going to say that it's sort of obviously the prototype for Michael's office. Oh, yeah. I was I, Too many Michaels. Michael. Sorry, yeah, David. well, yeah, that's yeah. sort of... By the way, Mike Schur, Michael Scott, and Michael the Demon, like, <laughs> what is going on there? He's just really, you know... Really uh, naming people after himself, yeah. I guess. Point of view characters. But yeah, I think that I think Michael the Demon's Bad Place office is pretty clearly copy pasted from from the office. I which actually makes it better because it makes it. I mean, how many times do we talk about how relatable that Bad Place is? <laughs> yeah, and it's relatable because they're in a bureaucracy, right? So maybe that's the connection: is the office is kind of this, you know, this is a a regional branch and then there's this larger bureaucracy and Michael can't get support from corporate and these kinds of things. So he does these wacky things on his own. Like maybe that's sort of the through line is, you know, Michael the demon 
is in this very bureaucratic machine and he feels like he's an ideas guy that like kind of needs to get out there and mix it up. And he really cares about what he's doing. That's the other thing about Michael Scott is that for all of the inappropriate jokes and all of the like, you know, I'm prison Mike. The worst thing about the prison was the Dementors. Like the prison Mike and the gay witch hunt that they do for Oscar and like all these things, like for all of the really inappropriate stuff, or Women's Appreciation Day after Phyllis gets, you know, uh, flashed in the parking lot. Like, for all the really inappropriate stuff that he does, he is actually very good at his job underneath it all and actually cares about the company. So I wonder if there's kind of a through line there. Although Michael the Demon is not as inappropriate, but he is an innovator. I don't know. I mean, I think Mike sure gravitates towards these banal environments like an office or city government or a bureaucracy of demons (laughs) (laughs) and then kind of tries it's sort of like well what if you had this thing that was just gray you know in its natural state is just this flat gray uh, not depressing but sort of work a day what if we had that and then we slapped some characters on top of it who you would never find in those environments in real life? Right. But like what happens when we take a Michael Scott or a Leslie Nope or a Michael the Demon and we put them in that position? Right. Yeah. And they're all characters who are bucking against the fact that their work environments are so restrictive right the reason why michael scott has such a bad relationship with toby in hr is because he he basically says something like we are in an eternal struggle because i want work to be fun and you want work to be a drag and i'm always gonna win right and he says this to holly and holly's sort of like knows how to handle him but the reason why you know he feels very hemmed in by hr Leslie obviously feels very hemmed in by the state auditors and the bureaucracy and the budget cuts that happen towards the end of uh, season two slash beginning of season three. And Michael obviously feels hemmed in by this bureaucracy around him of all the demons. And so all of these shows are about what does a person, what does a middle manager do to like express their more innovative side? And it all just comes out in different ways. The creative genius of middle managers. (laughs) That's going to be like when they do the, the sort of uh, comprehensive box set of everything Michael Schur has ever done. (laughs) That's what it's going to be called. (laughs) So next week, I think we plan to revisit Parks and Rec. That was what was on our schedule. And we did have people ask us about that. Multiple people. So we will do it. Oh, I mean, we don't. We can find something else. No, I, I. It, let's give the fans what they want. But this time, uh, you guys are gonna pick which episodes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I will put something on Twitter and something on Facebook, and just throw episode titles at us. And I, I mean, I can't say it's gonna be a vote because probably people are gonna pick all different episodes. But probably if we get a pre-screen list of a dozen or something, and then Brianna can kind of nail down maybe one or well, let's say two. Okay that we can watch. I hope to be happier about it this time. <laughs> I'm going to try. I promise. I'm not trying to be contrarian about Parks and Rec. It I know. Just, it just doesn't resonate it's with me, but I'm, but I'm going to, I'm going to make a get some more Adam honest Scott effort. Episodes, I love him. Although, I mean, I do kind of look at him and be like, ah, demon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you a garbage bag? Um, so we can yeah we can do another round of Parks and Rec I'm I'm up for that and the other ones we were going to do are Brooklyn Nine-Nine and he wrote an episode of Black Mirror oh weird I haven't watched any of Black Mirror I watched one Black Mirror the one that's the Star Trek pastiche and I loved it although it is very dark and it's not even I'm assured by people who watch Black Mirror that on the scale of Black Mirror darkness, it's like cotton candy. <laughs> I mean, TBH, I mean, we should save this for the Black Mirror episode, but like, 
this is why I have not watched Black Mirror. Because oh, yeah, no, like, it doesn't. I don't mm-hmm. need this. We're already living in a dystopia. <laughs> yeah, That's... but this <laughs> this For... one episode, the Star Trek pastiche, which I would recommend that you watch, it's excellent, is a complete takedown of toxic masculinity. The problem is it does have a body count along the way. You know what I mean? Like, it is... It is the destruction of toxic masculinity, but it's not as if everybody gets out unscathed. Cool, and cool, so, cool. Right. Cool. So, I mean, I the 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 lat, you know, the sort of the rising action, the climax, the denouement. I am like all on board with, but some of the more tensiony stuff in the middle, I'm like, no, no, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's I was gonna say before that that's actually why shows like Parks and Rec and shows like the office are kind of nice because they just sort of feel like a warm bath. Like, you know, they feel like very nice, not sort of challenging viewing as much as most. Of well, the you know, and I kept waiting cause I hadn't watched the office in a decade. I kept waiting for it to kind of hit that same awkwardness lever that curb your enthusiasm did. And it never went all the way there. It, it kind of took you to the edge of this could be really awkward, and then it would cut away to another scene. And I was always like, oh, thank you. <laughs> when he walks up, he's like, hey, 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 it's Fat Halpert. Was that in an episode we watched, or did I nope. watch, just watch it? No, nope. okay. no, no, no. So I you're watched on a different own. episode. <laughs> yeah, Michael puts his foot in his mouth a lot, but it's not Seinfeld levels of foot and mouth thing. You mean curb? Or Seinfeld, or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any of that whole situation. (laughs) So, (laughs) thank goodness we don't have to watch any more Curb. So this was really fun. I hope you liked my rambling explanations of all these episodes. (laughs) I will always love Jim up until my, like, you know, fourth season, and then my headcanon starts, and it's totally fine. Everything's fine. It's like me and West Wing. That's also me and West Wing. This is just... (laughs) I have okay. I have things where I'm just like this is how this is how this goes and I'm just not going to pay attention to the rest of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Until next time, uh, get yourself ready because I'm about to sing "Beers in Heaven." I would love to hear "Beers in Heaven" sometime. Actually, it's outro. Hit hit us out, dude. Oh, I was I was being Holly. <laughs> and you have to say. Oh, I have too, to say. It's too soon. It's too sexual. <laughs> okay. Oh. Till next time, it's too soon, it's too sexual. <laughs> we'll see you next time, Ding Dongs. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door.